So first, thanks for having us, and thanks to the Martin School for having me here for the, uh, for the term. Uh, I want to start with three qualifications. First of all, our title is a little misleading. In addition to the kids that I have with my wife, it is not true that Aaron and I want children too. <laughs> just, that's not the way to read our title. We realized later there was an ambiguity, um, but that's not the point. Uh, second of all, we're going to be coming at this from a decidedly American perspective. Uh, because a lot of it is how do you deal, I think the way you deal with conscientious objection in a private healthcare system that uses insurance is different from a public healthcare system, so I hope that adding that perspective uh, will be interesting to people. And third, we're going to make some generalizations. I want to make it clear that we're not pretending to be talking about emergency situations. Emergencies raise an entirely different set of issues. We're going to be talking about more day-to-day -day practices where there's time and lives are not at stake, um, and so on. So uh, to illustrate the American uh, situation, we want to talk about the case of uh, 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 Guadalupe Benitez. Uh, she and her partner, uh, now I've got Joanne Clark, um, wanted to have a child, uh, went to a local clinic in California, uh, and were treated for infertility, but none of the previous methods were. Uh, they ended up having to use something called intrauterine insemination, IUI, uh, and the doctor at that point uh, said, I refuse to do that on, uh, on you uh, because they were a gay couple. Now, there was some dispute in the, case, in the trial, whether it was because they were gay or because they were unmarried or what, but let's assume it was because um, they were gay. Another doctor, uh, Dr. Fenton, in the same clinic also refused, and as a result, uh, she had to go to a different clinic uh, in order to get this treatment, because those were the only two that were licensed to do that procedure in this particular clinic, and that meant that they had to go to a clinic that did not accept their insurance. So this cost them thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, and they sued uh, in order to be reimbursed uh, for those expenses. Uh, they sued the clinic uh, and won in the California uh, State Supreme Court. So we'll keep referring back to this case at several points, but the California Supreme Court at least held that, uh, that they had to pay the, uh, the expenses. Our other target is Julian, uh, because he says things like this. Uh, when a duty is a true duty, conscientious objection is wrong and immoral. When there's a grave duty, it should be illegal. Okay? Uh, it's not... Can you the same shirt? That's amazing. That's it. So we are going to... I mean. I want to make it clear, we are not supporting what the doctor did in the Benitez case. We think it was immoral. They shouldn't, you know, the doctor should not have done that, but that's because we think their moral views are wrong, the religious views on which they're based are wrong, and so on. So we, you know, in that sense, we think that what the doctor did is immoral, but the question is whether it should be illegal. Uh, and and that's, the, that's where we want to challenge it and actually argue that it should not be illegal, at least in the sense that the doctor should not be forced to uh, perform that IUI uh, procedure uh, without permission uh, and should not be uh, lose their license if they refuse to do it. Uh, we're going to suggest that there's a better solution. Uh, but continuing with Julian, 
Uh, to be a doctor is to be, I love this, to be a doctor. I don't, it's like to be a professor is to, I don't know how to finish that sentence. But to be a doctor, people seem to think. So to be a doctor is to be willing and able to offer appropriate medical interventions that are legal, beneficial, desired by the patient, and a part of a just healthcare system. So those seem to be the requirements that a doctor is supposed to have a general duty that should be enforced by law. In grave cases, it should be illegal enforced by law to provide all of those interventions that fall into uh, these categories. Uh, so we're going to argue against that. I want to point out, given previous talks, we're going to try not to appeal to rights, although we might slip. We slipped before. Uh, we're going to uh, not appeal uh, to moral relativism. So Alberto, you can calm down. We're not going to do that. Uh, and so uh, you'll see what we do appeal to. But uh, we think those types of arguments, we're not going to be appealing to the moral integrity of the doctor or anything like that. Uh, instead, it will be different types of considerations that we'll bring to bear. And Aaron will tell you what we do say. Um, so starting with this kind of this idea of a general obligation to provide any, any service that's legal, beneficial, desired by the patient, part of a just healthcare system. We're skeptical that there really is such a general obligation. And it's come up a few times at this conference now, this idea that sort of doctors have this obligation to provide these services unless proven otherwise. And actually, we're quite skeptical that that obligation exists in the first place, at least in many kinds of cases. And so one place to start thinking about this is, so if I'm a medical student and I'm you know, deciding what path I'm going to take in my medical career, do I have an obligation to become, say, an abortion provider? Well, it seems quite clear that I don't. Um, for one thing, I'm free to choose my specialty. I could choose to become a cardiologist. And if I choose to become a cardiologist, I'm pretty clear I'm not under any obligation to provide abortions. But even if I choose to go into, even if I choose to become an obstetrician gynecologist, it's still not clear that I actually have an obligation to become an abortion provider. So we can think about other sort of areas of medicine. So suppose that I decide to become a dermatologist. In doing so, do I incur an obligation to, say, work with burn victims, to offer skin grafts? It doesn't seem so. I could open a practice where I specialize in acne. And if I open a practice where I specialize in acne and decide I'm only going to treat acne patients, if a burn victim shows up at my door and says, hey, can you provide the skin graft? It's not clear that I have any obligation to do so, even though it would be legal, beneficial desired by the patient and part of a just healthcare system. And more generally, you think that, look, there's, there's very good moral reasons for there to be an adequate number of doctors providing that service. There's very good moral reasons for there to be an adequate number of doctors that are providing those kind of services to birth victims. But it's not clear that that creates an obligation on the part of any individual doctor, even within the relevant specialty, to offer those services. And we actually think the same is true of abortion. So there's a very strong, there are very strong moral reasons for there to be an adequate number of abortion providers. And we ought to work to ensure that that is the case. But it's not clear that those moral reasons then generate a moral <laughs> obligation on the part of anybody who goes into uh, gynecology to become an abortion provider. And similarly, you might think, look, uh, suppose I decide to go into orthopedics. It's not clear that I have to do everything that falls under orthopedics, or even that I have to work with any kind of client or patient that comes to my door. I could decide to go into sports medicine and only treat athletes. 
I could decide to only treat knee injuries in athletes. And so if a non-athlete shows up to me with a hand injury, I don't have to deal with them. Now, to some extent, some of what we're saying is already within the American Medical Association code. So the EMA code says a physician may decline to undertake the care of a patient whose medical condition is not within the physician's current competence. Now, we agree with that, although we want to say something somewhat stronger, that even if it is within the physician's current competence, they don't necessarily have a moral obligation to provide that service. I mean, think of the orthopedic surgeon who, yeah, he probably could do a hand surgery if he really has to, but he specializes in knee surgeries and that's all he does. And we also don't think there's any obligation to sort of require a competence in any particular area. I mean, especially in the United States, becoming an abortion provider is actually not that easy. There's many medical schools that really don't provide the kind of training you need to do it. And in many states, it requires a separate license. It requires you to actively go out and acquire that competency. And it's not clear that just because I go into gynecology, I have the obligation to go out and do that. Now, at this point, you might push back and say, well, wait a second. What about the Benitez case that we started with? I mean, still seems like there's something going wrong in that case. And this is where we think we need to make a, a really important distinction that uh, hasn't really come up a lot in, the, in our discussion so far that hasn't really been explicitly drawn very often in the literature we've looked at. And this is the distinction between objections to procedures and the ob objections to treating particular patients. So a doctor might, for example, object to providing active euthanasia. In which case, they're going to object to providing it for anybody. Doesn't matter who you are, black, white, woman, man, transgender, we don't care. Not going to provide active euthanasia. That's quite different from the kind of objection involved in the Menina's case, where it's not as if this clinic had any objection to, to performing IUI. They regularly did it. It was part of their core practice. What they objected to was providing that procedure for a particular patient on the basis of characteristics of that patient. In this case, the fact that the patient was a lesbian. And so most of what we said so far about doctors not having an obligation to provide particular procedures in virtue of them being in a certain uh, specialty doesn't seem to apply over here. And so for the rest of the talk, we're going to focus on these sorts of cases, cases where a doctor refuses to provide a service not because they have any objection to the procedure per se, but because they have an objection to the type of patient that is being performed on. Now you might ask, uh, one question you could ask here is, well, can we draw this distinction for sex, for sex specific procedures? So for example, can we draw this distinction for abor abortion, given that, well, if I'm refusing to, to provide abortions, then it's only really women that I'm refusing to serve. And here we think we can still draw the distinction in terms of the reasons for the objection. If my reasons for the objection, if the reason for refusing to provide the abortion is based on the procedure itself, that the doctor regards it as akin to murder or even as literally being murder, then that has nothing to do with the nature of the patient, with the gender of the patient. If somehow a man miraculously became pregnant, that doctor would still refuse to perform an abortion. But on the other hand, if the reason for refusing to perform the abortion has to do with the gender of the patients, that this doctor just doesn't want to work with women. That's quite different. 
That would be an example of this. <coughs> of course, there can be cases where it's both. And you might think that, in many cases, there's a little bit of both. That you might think that, sure, there is an element of sexism that sometimes underlies the reasons. We're not denying that. But we're going to focus on these sorts of cases for the rest of this talk. On cases where a procedure is being, uh, a treatment or, or procedure is being denied to a particular individual, not because of any objection to the procedure itself, because of the nature of the patients. Now, the AMA code, uh, sorry, before I get there, I should say, we don't think that all objections of this type are wrong, <coughs> or, or that, that they're necessarily wrong. So the talk after ours, we'll hear about um, objections to treating sexual dysfunction in sex offenders. And you might think that's a perfectly okay kind of conscious objection, but it's based <coughs> on the characteristic of a particular patient. It's not that you object to treating sexual dysfunction in general, it's that you object to doing it for this particular individual because of some characteristic of that individual. So we're okay with that kind of conscious objection to patients. The kinds that you might think is really problematic are cases where it's a kind of invidious discrimination, where the refusal to treat is based on race, gender, sexual identity, that kind of thing. And the MA code takes quite a strong line against this. They say, you can see in the red here, physicians who offer their services to the public may not decline to accept patients because of their race, color, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, gender identity, or any other basis that would constitute invidious discrimination. Now, we think this is right to some extent, although it needs some qualifications and and clarifications. So, for example, we have women's hospitals. Women's hospitals refuse to treat certain patients on the basis of gender. Nobody thinks this is a problem. Now, let's contrast that with a different case. We've got a, a female Muslim doctor who, on the basis of religious reasons, only wants to treat female patients. Now, it's not clear to us why, if this case is invidiously discriminatory, if a women's hospital refusing to treat men, refusing to treat people based on gender, <coughs> is morally a-okay, why this case, just because the reasons for not treating men are, are religious or moral, why that would be any less morally a-okay. But again, you might come back to the Benitez case, and we'll, but still, there's something wrong with the Benitez case. Something went wrong there. What is it? We think it has to do with undue burdens being placed on patients. The existence of women's hospitals really doesn't do a disservice to men. The kind of people they turn away aren't then faced with undue burdens because of them being turned away. If I go to a women's hospital and they say, sorry, no, we're not gonna serve you, I can go to the men's hospital that's probably fairly close by. Similarly, in a context where a Muslim doctor decides, look, I'm a female, my religion says I should only serve other females, so long as there are plenty of other doctors nearby that I as a man can go to, it's not doing me a disservice, it's not imposing an undue burden on me. What seems really problematic in the Benitez case is the undue burden it imposed on her. That she went to the only <coughs> clinic in her area that was accepted by her insurance, that clinic declined to offer her treatment on the basis of a conscientious objection. And because of that, she had to go to a different clinic, one that did not accept her insurance, and pay several thousand dollars out of pocket 
So when she incurred this great expense, it's only because of her sexual identity. And that's where we think the real problem is. And so what we want to, go, want to do now is to propose a kind of framework within which to regulate these kinds of objections, because we don't think that the solution is just to outlaw them. So imagine that you are Benitez and that you go into this clinic and you know that this doctor is only going to perform the IUI because he or she's legally required to, and you know that they really don't want to do it. That's, you know, they have firm religious beliefs that, which they think that you're you know, living in sin and so on and so forth, and that they just shouldn't be doing this. Are you really going to trust that doctor? Is that really conducive to a good doctor-patient relationship? Um, we think not. And so what we want to propose is a, is a framework within which to allow these kinds of conscious objections to a certain extent, <coughs> but where, wherein we try to eliminate as much as possible the undue burdens that it then places on the patients and try to shift those burdens back to the people that are doing the objection. And to lay out the framework, I'm going to turn it back over to Walter. So let me just add uh, to what Aaron said that in addition to forcing the doctor uh, to perform the, uh, the, uh, the procedure that she didn't want to perform, you know, the other option is to just take away her license. But of course, uh, then you're going to reduce the number of doctors, which might actually lead to worse services for the people that you know, you're in theory trying to help. So we want to try to come up with a framework uh, that will uh, avoid those types of problems. Uh, and yet, in the end, lead to uh, what we consider to be uh, moral progress. So the first requirement, uh, which I take it uh, some people have expressed some sympathy for, is you ought to admit what you're doing. So if there's a clinic, oh, actually, let me just say one more qualification. Our, our requirements are going to be at the level of clinics. Instead of forcing individual doctors to do things they don't want or give up their license, we're going to put pressures on their clinics. Okay, so if a clinic says we provide fertility services, but they don't provide them to gay patients, they need to say that. Now, why do they say that? I just think in general you want to admit what you're doing. Uh, but on a more practical level, there's a, there's a certain kind of embarrassment and waste of time of this gay couple coming to this clinic, working with this doctor for months, and then finding out she won't do this procedure. And so to avoid that kind of cost to the patient, the uh, clinic ought to admit what they're doing. It's not that they kind of, you know, you know, they have to put women's hospital on the outside of the building. We don't treat men, right? But it ought to be in their pamphlets. It ought to be on their website. The information ought to be accessible uh, if they are not going to treat a certain uh, type of person. Uh, that's just for efficiency reasons, avoiding embarrassing re embarrassment reasons, but also, um, Kind of in general, uh, I think you know you ought to know you ought to admit what you're doing. The second is the referral requirement, uh, which again a lot of people you know this is not terribly new. A lot of people you know would support this that the clinic has to refer you. If they're not going to provide a service, then they have to refer you to a clinic uh, that will provide a service. Now a lot of people on the other side you know who you know will object to that. Uh, too bad because. If you say, I'm not going to refer you, what you're in effect saying is, I'm not going to refer you because I think that other person is acting immorally, is being unreasonable. Well, now you're not showing respect to the other doctors in your profession 
you're not viewing them as peers that you have respect for because you're not willing to let them do something that you wouldn't do. Now, if that's your view that you're not going to show respect for them, then it's not clear to me why we have, you know, why you're going to have any force to your objection if you say you're not respecting our religion. You know, go well. Look, you're not respecting their religion or their lack of religion. And so uh, the respect has to go both ways. So I, we're happy with a referral requirement. Uh, then there's a compensation requirement. If you do refer them, then uh, there are going to be certain kinds of expenses. Okay? That means like, in the Benitez case, if the, if the other clinic doesn't accept the insurance, then the clinic that turned them down has to pay the expenses that they're out of pocket that they, uh, that they would have avoided if the original clinic had uh, done the service for them. Uh, that's just because there's going to be a cost here. You know, there's going to be a cost to either the patient or the doctor. And if the doctor is invoking principles, they ought to pay the cost uh, for the thing that they're doing, uh, it seems to us. And so it shouldn't be that the patient is disadvantaged. Now, this will affect different cases in different ways. So, for example, by focusing on the level of the clinic, the clinic now has a choice. They can hire a doctor who will do that service in-house, and then they won't have to refer him elsewhere. That's up to them, right? Uh, or they can refuse to hire somebody, and then they'll have to refer them out uh, and, pay, uh, and pay the expenses. <coughs> now, notice what this is going to do is, over the long run, this is going to mean that clinics are going to be less inclined to hire doctors who refuse to treat certain classes of patients, because then they'll have to hire somebody else or they'll pay the expenses. That's all good for us. Notice what it avoids is the law getting in and saying this is illegal uh, to refuse this service. Instead, it's letting the market do the work. This is like a pro-American slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Let the market do the work. Uh, because the financial pressures on the clinic will then keep them from engaging in that type of invidious discrimination. Um, and we've already mentioned this. But the fourth, the fourth principle in the framework is that we're not going to require uh, doctors to provide uh, treatment uh, where, they believe, where they have good reason to believe uh, that will lead to some kind of crime like uh, erectile dysfunction in a pedophile or something like that. Then they can refuse. But otherwise, we think that you know, this compensation requirement, the requirement of referral when there's no one in the uh, clinic itself, uh, will um, solve the problem uh, over time. Not immediately, uh, but over time. Did I leave anything out? No. Okay. Uh, now, we've been focusing on the Benitez case and cases that are closely similar to it, um, but uh, there are some obvious questions. I'll just mention these, and then you can raise uh, the ones you want uh, in the discussion. Uh, does our framework uh, work for mixed-race couples? What if they say, well, we're not going to give... Uh, this fertility treatment because it's a mixed race couple and we think that's wrong. I mean, honestly, my view is, yeah, let them do it. The NAACP will do the rest because they have to publicize that they're doing that and people will just be up in arms and that will quickly end uh, the problem. I mean, I would never go to a clinic that had that in their pamphlet. Uh, and I'd rather have it happen that way uh, through public pressure than through uh, government legislation. <laughs> Uh, what about healthy limb amputation? Um, somebody uh, refuses to, well notice, if everybody in the local community is refusing, they can't find anybody, if they find somebody to do it, they can you know, do it. And 
Uh, but if they don't find anybody to do it, then that shows a certain consensus in the medical community about that. And then they're not going to receive uh, that, uh, that service. Now, you can't sue any of the particular clinics in the area because they all you know, refuse to do it. And there's no extra expense because they would have had to pay for it if they did it at this clinic versus another clinic. Uh, so uh, it seems that in that case, the person might not end up with the service that they wanted, but only when there is a near uniform consensus against it. Uh, and that, as a restriction on the types of medical services that are provided, uh, is not obviously wrong uh, to us, or at least to me. Um, so what about other roles that people mentioned, the town clerk in Kentucky who refused to do marriage licenses? I take it that's a different kinds of situation because that's a government employee who promised to provide, you know, to follow the rules in that particular thing in that particular job. Now, that's closer to the National Health Service model. Uh, but as I said, we were talking about the, more about the American uh, context. And, um, and what if they just refuse to refer, or to refer to other clinics or to pay? Well, then they're in the direct you know, violation of a, of a court order. Then, uh, then, yeah, then you might have to take away the license of the clinic, maybe not of the individual doctor. Uh, because we're focusing on the clinic, remember, uh, and you can take their money from them uh, to pay for the extra expenses uh, and so on. Oh, I should have added, by the way, for the extra expenses, that's gonna that could include pain and suffering, that could include time wasted in traveling to another city uh, and so on. So we want full compensation. I hate it when I have a car accident, you know, and then they just pay to get the car fixed. And it's like, what about all my time? Yeah. Um, so uh, that would be included. Conclusions, uh, conscious objection to procedures as opposed to individuals uh, should generally be allowed. You get to choose your specialization. Conscious objection to certain patients or groups should generally be allowed when they're not invidiously discriminatory. That's the, that's the erectile dysfunction in a pedophile case. And even invidiously discriminatory conscious objection, such as the Benitez case, should be legally allowed but only within a framework that limits the burdens, right? The, the whole idea is if you shift the burdens to the people that are causing the problem, then you don't have to come in with the heavy hand of law and make it illegal. Instead, uh, the market will uh, do the trick. So I'm sure there are uh, questions because we covered a lot. Thank you.